most cases, people with long COVID, just getting up and getting off the couch might be exercise. This is not a time to do high intensity intervals. It is a time to get moving, but it is one that you need to address your fatigue probably first before you get moving in a major way. So it might be something as simple as walking and just getting the body pumping because you need to move the lymphatics also. Sleep, right? So looking at circadian rhythm training, so making sure you get early morning sunlight exposure because that sets your circadian clock for nighttime, taking small breaks throughout the day to meditate, deep breathe, stretch, more of your ultradian training, which helps your body sort of recognize, hey, I'm still awake, I'm still doing stuff, and then doing everything you can. And I've talked a ton about sleep in the podcast, everything you can to protect your sleep environment. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. So today I'm going to talk about a subject that is highly charged, um, highly controversial, and I'm praying that you can stand here and listen to, or sit actually, probably more accurately, sit and listen to this conversation and this content without feeling pulled in any direction. What I'm here to talk about today is, do you have long haul? Now, like I said, COVID is something that has been highly politicized. It's polarizing. And I'm not talking about vaccine, no vaccine, treatment, no treatment. Is it real? Is it not? What I am here to talk about is what the statistics are and what the likelihood of your persistent problems could be long COVID. And the statistics are actually pretty shocking. And so uh, there's a lot of people that came out of the pandemic and even in the last year that have felt persistently unwell and are consistently and persistently unwell. And what I want to talk about now is the signs and symptoms of long COVID so you could help distinguish if this happens to be you. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. Like I said, we are talking long COVID today, and I really, really want to be able to dig into this because I can tell you in our clinic, we're seeing more and more people that are coming in with these diffuse health problems, but they don't really know where they started, how they started, but they seem to be continuing on and on, and especially women. And so I want to make sure that I give you the data because I want to be a source for you so you can understand, could this potentially be your problem? So first off, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, based on a, on a survey at the end of 2022 in December, 127 million Americans have had COVID-19. Of those people that had COVID, over 28% developed long COVID. So that 
is a gigantic number. And long COVID refers to the conditions in which some people infected with COVID experience long-term health effects. So what I'm gonna talk about today is what are those long-term health effects? What are the symptoms? What are the causes of those symptoms? And how you might be able to start addressing and looking at your own health to figure out maybe this is you. Now, the reason why I'm talking about it, because I know this is a women's focused podcast talking about perimenopause and menopause. Well, guess what, ladies? We have long COVID more than men. So according to a Census Bureau investigation, a survey done by the Household Pulse Survey at the end of 2022, it revealed that long COVID has affected people of different genders by varying degree. And when we look at at, at women based on their sex, women um, way outpaced men for the experience of and symptoms of long COVID. And so why is that? So the first thing you got to re- recognize is that estrogen, when it is very, very high, is pro-inflammatory. And then when estrogen is actually very low, it it has a increasing effect on the inflammatory response. Because remember, estrogen is is kind of like Goldilocks. We need just the right amount. And the other thing is, is progesterone is immunosuppressive, meaning that it calms the inflammatory response of the immune system. And so it's actually the hormone responsible for calming the immune system and making sure when you're pregnant that your body doesn't try and kill the fetus because that's foreign DNA. So when those hormones are in flux in perimenopause and then also declining as you go into menopause, we're going to see a change in your immune function. So like I said, we're going to get in and talk a little bit about what the symptoms are, what you can expect, and what's really happening with long COVID. According to a study in Britain, when we look at long COVID, most of the symptoms that people are experiencing are going to be part of the following. So it's going to be things like fatigue, a long, persistent, dry, unproductive cough, headache, muscle pain, loss of taste and smell, a long-standing sore throat, shortness of breath, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain, digestive disorders. So those are the most common symptoms. Most people don't present with all of those, but those are the most common symptoms as people come out of COVID-19. And if they're testing positive for COVID, those are the things that we experience especially during that acute phase. So let's talk about kind of COVID and the experience of COVID and how those symptoms sort of play out. So if we look at the diagnosis of COVID, so early on in the pandemic, we saw a lot of people who obviously got sick with a very acute version of COVID. And then over the next two years, obviously the virus mutated and and the severity of the symptoms started to become less so. Now, that doesn't mean some people didn't have extraordinary symptoms to, let's say, the Omicron variant relative to another person. But generally speaking, it became less and less deadly over time. But what we see is COVID had this very natural sort of progression of infection. So the acute infection is in that first first week. So basically week one, three to five days is where that acute infection starts to ramp up. And then 
And then we see the antibodies get generated, particularly your IgG antibodies, which are, think of those as your army. They circulate going and looking for insurgents. So by the time they start to circulate five to seven days out from that initial infection, you see sort of a trailing of symptoms. So most people, the acute phase was over around two to three weeks, depending on what variant you you actually experienced. And so if you were to test your COVID tests and do like a PCR test, which is a DNA test for COVID, you would probably see PCR positive in the first one to four weeks of the infection. And in many cases, people saw their symptoms sort of decline. Now, what we see is some people persist. So let's say five, six, seven, eight weeks out, nine weeks out, they still have these trailing symptoms. Often there's things like fatigue, maybe gastrointestinal upset, brain fog. And what we call this is this kind of ongoing COVID infection. And often this is where we start to see PCR trail off. And then this is also where you will see it listed as a particular diagnosis or particular discussion point. If you're looking in the in the literature, you'll see it listed as post-acute sequelae COVID. So that means post-consequences of COVID. And that's where you see it start to linger for 8 to 12 weeks, right? And this has some very distinct symptoms. Again, you often see shortness of breath, dry cough, fatigue. You may see hair loss, muscle and joint pain, chest pain, other symptoms. And this is, this is that first basically three months of the infection and post-infection. Well, and then you see this sort of long COVID kick in. So I was at a conference this weekend going over all the recent research, what the current studies are at treating long COVID. There are several functional medicine studies going on at this moment, trying to find ways to treat. Again, we're looking at a very large percentage of the population, 28% of the individuals that got COVID believe that they had long COVID. That's a huge, huge percent. And if you listen to officials, pretty much at this point, if you are, if you are on the planet, you've at least had COVID once, even if you didn't know it. One of the things that I found very shocking about this conference was a significant portion of people that are showing up with, with long COVID-like symptoms cannot go back and remember when they had COVID, meaning they were not necessarily one of the really, really symptomatic COVID cases. So that is even more concerning. I can tell you, I got the Delta variant in 2021. I've had no other no other illnesses of COVID then. And I, and I didn't necessarily sail through it, but I was over it in two weeks. I had some minor inflammatory response. My Hashimoto's antibodies stay elevated for about three months. I had some cardio cardio markers that stayed slightly elevated for a while, but I was back to my regular exercise and activity in two weeks. But that's the only time that I, I know that I had COVID. And so even somebody that may have had it once and maybe didn't have any symptoms, they may start having symptoms of what I'm getting ready to go through. And it actually is COVID. And it's COVID reemerging as a secondary chronic response, and I'm going to explain the mechanism today so you understand it, because I think, especially after looking at the research, that a lot of people are experiencing things that they think are chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, maybe even perimenopausal and menopausal brain fog, shortness of breath, 
joint pain and things like that, that may actually be being induced by this long COVID activity. And that if they went through an appropriate COVID recovery protocol, and there are several that have been studied that are still being studied that show some improvement. And again, most of these are not using pharmaceuticals. The pharmaceuticals are better in the acute phase. And of course, that may start some arguments on both sides, but we don't have a good pharmaceutical answer for long COVID. And so you may be dealing with this and may not know it because it may be a second or third infection that you got over the last year or two, or it may be that you never felt like you had the actual virus, but you're experiencing the symptoms. So I'm going to explain those things. So the post-viral activity, so the post-acute phase activity, really centers into these five main drivers. So the first driver is what we call ACE2 receptor mediated tissue damage. I'm going to explain what that is, right? So, So that is one of the major drivers. We have chronic inflammation that is initiated by the infection. We have viral persistence, mitochondrial dysfunction, and then gut microbiome and virome dis- dis- dysbiosis. So your viral and microbiome dysbiosis are the five main primary drivers. So let's talk first too about ACE2. So many of you probably saw this in your, in your heard this a lot in that first year of COVID. So many tissues on our body have an ACE2 receptor. And COVID gained entrance into your cells by going into that ACE2 receptor and taking over the cell and then basically making a a viral making cell, right? So it was able to duplicate itself. And this was very, very much tied to low levels of vitamin D, low levels of zinc and vitamin A. So if those nutrients were not adequate, you are more likely to become a virus making machine. So those, those things actually helped block a little bit of this activity inside the cell. And there's a lot of other nutrients that were used for ACE2 receptor blocking varying degrees when we look at just other nutrient values that could change it. However, I don't want to talk about that from the acute phase today, but I want to talk about how this shows up later on. So part of the COVID-19 long haul activity is in these five primary drivers, and it is the persistence of the spike protein that basically breaks off and goes and locks into these ACE2 receptors that keep the inflammatory response going. So there are receptors everywhere, like I said, so the lungs, right? So when they hit the lungs, they affect the vascular system in the lungs. So often people with long haul have this dry, persistent cough, chest pain, and it's not a productive cough. So you don't feel like you're getting something going and you have this fatigue and this feeling like you went from, I don't know, sea level to 9,000 feet, almost like you can't get enough breath. The pancreas actually has ACE2 receptors, and so we do see some pancreatitis, some pancreatic injury. The kidneys, the kidneys, especially people who may have kidney disease and acute renal problems or renal implants or renal renal insufficiency may see a greater risk. And so we do see kidney impairment. And this would be exacerbated by somebody who has other metabolic syndrome diseases like hypertension, because many Many of the drugs use ACE2 to manage, and we also see just more kidney damage if you have diabetes or hypertension. The brain has ACE2 receptors, and so when those are being triggered by the the spike protein, we can see brain fog, delirium, fatigue, major insomnia, and sleep disturbances, particularly waking at 3 
o'clock in the morning seems to be a major trigger. So ladies, if you were already doing that and you thought it was just menopause, this might be triggering it. And we see more depression, anxiety, PTSD, obsessive compulsive thoughts, just because those are all part of an inflammatory brain process. We also see changes in your splenic activity. So the spleen has houses your T and B lymphocytes, which help you fight infection. And we also see damage to the liver and we see increases in liver enzymes even because that damage. And driving a lot of this is actually inflammatory response from the blood vessels themselves. The blood vessels have inflammation. We have hypercoagulation. So think of it getting clumpy and clotty. And we see vessel damage. And that mechanism is pretty clear. And actually, a lot of that inflammatory vascular activity is driving all of these other tissue damage because every single tissue in the body has blood blood capillaries bringing blood to the tissue. And so it's it's that spike protein attaching to the ACE2 receptor and basically driving that inflammatory response. So ACE2 mediated damage, that's what's happening. That's the inflammatory response of the spike protein perpetuating. Now, many of you are probably listening to this and they're like, well, what about the vaccine? Because there are quite a few people and I'm not here to argue for or against the vaccine because the reality is a lot of people got it, a lot of people are against it, and a lot of people are also experiencing symptoms from the vaccine. And so the vaccine absolutely did one thing. So the vaccine, especially if you're looking at the Moderna and the And the Pfizer vaccine, the mRNA vaccines, especially in the United States, what those vaccines did is they did not deliver a viral load. What they did was deliver the software to tell your body as if it saw the spike protein. And then if those individuals subsequently got COVID, which we know statistically they probably did because everybody on the planet got it at least once and in many cases may have gotten it many times over, the spike protein is then active. So the software, i.e. the mRNA vaccine, also told our body to respond with an inflammatory response as if it solved if it, as if it saw the actual virus. And so the inflammation response would be similar. That's why many people f- experience symptoms after a vaccine, and particularly that vaccine. But we see quite a few people that have vaccine injury from that. There was a very good article that came out this last week about gaslighting and, and how the medical system, particularly in the United States, need to quit pretending that people aren't injured from this vaccine because they are. And a lot of it is this chronic inflammatory response. So I want to go back to viral persistence. So the other thing that we are starting to identify, and there is good research out there showing this, is that once COVID occupies the immune system, we've got the spike protein attaching to the ACE2 receptor, it's challenging the immune system, we see an uptick in previous viral infections, and especially things like Epstein-Barr that's responsible for mono, the herpes simplex virus family, and and your cytomegaloviruses. And we see a persistence and a, and a uptick in things like reemergence of Lyme disease, which is actually a bacterial infection. And, and in many cases, we also see people that are, are struggling with long-term mold illness that may not have really recognized that they had a mold exposure, but now this is sort of icing on the cake. So that viral persistence. So essentially what's happening is you get COVID, it keeps your immune system busy, and all these other viruses emerge and play because they don't have anybody to stop them anymore. The traffic cop is not 
present. And viruses stay in our body. They become dormant when our immune system can suppress them, but they amplify when our immune system is taxed. And so this viral persistence is often something we see. Now, what we're also seeing is that there is gut and microbiome dysbiosis. So essentially, we've got the immune system tied up. We've got a persistent viral load that is affected, and we're starting to see changes to the inflammatory response in the gastrointestinal tract, which has ACE2 receptors. So we've got the spike protein ramping up inflammation, a ramping up of the immune system, and a change to the microbiome, which means that your defenders, your best friends in the gut, have now shifted. And we see a shift to a more potentially pathogenic strains of microbes, and general dysbiosis. So some people get digestive symptoms like diarrhea and cramping and bloating and all these other symptoms to post-COVID experience. And it really is this inflammatory response. And a lot of people in the functional medicine community might be accidentally diagnosing people with SIBO and other other pathological conditions when it may actually be COVID is some of the underlying driver of this dysbiosis. And then ultimately, we have mitochondrial dysfunction. So the mitochondria are your powerhouses in the cell. And when you have a virus take over that cell, what it does, and particularly the coronavirus, this, this virus is different than other viruses, is it goes over and takes over the cell, causes mitochondrial dysfunction, basically blocks the cell's capacity to handle autophagy, which is where your mitochondria are sort of using up parts to sort of repair itself. So think it's like your your cell has an auto team that goes and replaces tires and brakes, kind of like a race car team. And that team is no longer able to work. So the cellular mechanics of producing energy and also cellular repair become damaged. And in that, so we have the powerhouses of the cells are now affected, which are going to drive all your long-term symptoms. And so now I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about the chronic inflammation piece. So the chronic inflammatory process is really being driven by by three major drivers. So one is a T cell mediated dysregulation. So T cells, think of it this way, your T cells uh, are controllers to your immune system. And when we have viral persistence, whether it's COVID or other viruses, the especially through molecular mimicry. So what's happening is the body sees one viral infection and, and pretty much turns on the other one because they look similar. The structural similarities are there. And so when we have that, we the neutralizing autoantibodies, right? So our body produces antibodies that should neutralize this this infection are not able to produce enough of the antibodies to actually go fight COVID. And that ends up causing damage to the tissues. And we also see just chronic amplification of this T-cell mediated activity. We, and we create immune complexes. So, so basically, the immune system is super keyed up. The other thing we see is microglial activation. So we see the the immune regulation in the brain starts to amplify and we see inflammatory response in the brain, which is part of that driver for brain fog. And then last is mast cell activation. So mast cells are responsible for helping fight infection and they produce things like histamines. And so when the mast cells start to amplify, we get a histamine response. And so we also see people that might have already had a little bit of mast cell activation now seeing a serious ramping up. And so we have this long-term inflammatory response that has been 
driven by that continuation of the spike protein. And so what do we do with all of this? So so what are what are the things that we should be looking for and trying to figure out where we are going to go with this chronic, chronic inflammatory response. So what we know is both on the acute infection of COVID, if you had metabolic disorders, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, obesity, hypertension, kidney disease, chronic liver disease like NAFLD, all of those chronic disorders increased your risk for acute condition of COVID and potential, you know, potential mortality and obviously increases the severity of the disease, but it also increases your likelihood for long COVID. And here's the reason why is because COVID used that ACE2 receptor and was basically able to infiltrate most all tissues in the body and amplify an inflammatory response, cause dysbiosis in the gut, increase viral persistence, change the immune system to an inflammatory response and cause vascular damage. We see all of those diseases that I listed off already have those things present. So if you have metabolic syndrome and high blood pressure and high blood glucose, or your triglycerides are high, or you've got hyperlipidemia, so high cholesterol, all of those things are already inflammatory responses that are driven in these same mechanistic ways. And so when we look at addressing long haul, the same thing that we look at for functional medicine for almost everything else, we have to do. So we have to protect our diet and lifestyle, and we have to start addressing metabolic disorder. You know, so I think of it as the foundation of the home. So this is where appropriate diet, and in most cases, at least the studies that have been done from a functional medicine standpoint, they are currently using a paleo diet. So a predominantly paleo diet, meaning removing all all manufactured foods, so anything that comes in a box, in a bag, or with a wrapper with an advertisement on it, you remove. So basically, you're eating fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, animal protein, you're removing grains, you're removing legumes, you're removing fake sweeteners, you're removing sugar, you can have a little bit of things like honey and maple syrup, but you're eating basically plant material and animal proteins. The reason why is all of those other foods are more likely to stimulate the immune system, doesn't mean it's doing it in every single person, but we wanna take the inflammatory load down. So eating a paleo diet, maybe even looking into the, the work of Whole30, if you've never done that. We use paleo quite a bit in our clinic for different things. It doesn't necessarily mean that some people need to stay paleo for the rest of their life. But in this long haul scenario, it may be one of those things to look at. We also look at appropriate exercise. So in most cases, people with long COVID, just getting up and getting off the couch might be exercise. This is not a time to do high intensity intervals. It is a time to get moving, but it is one that you need to address your fatigue probably first before you get moving in a major way. So it might be something as simple as walking and just getting the body pumping because you need to move the lymphatics also. Sleep, right? So looking at circadian rhythm training, so making sure you get early morning sunlight exposure because that sets your circadian clock for nighttime, taking small breaks throughout the day to meditate, deep breathe, stretch, more of your altradian, 
training, which helps your body sort of recognize, hey, I'm still awake, I'm still doing stuff, and then doing everything you can. And I've talked a ton about sleep in the podcast, everything you can to protect your sleep environment, staying off blue light devices like your phone, iPad, and even computer screens and and even your TV after, let's say, 9 p.m. Or for some people, it may need to be as early as 8. Using glasses, using amber amber glasses that block that blue light can also help. I'm a super fan of Viva Rays. So that would be a really good one. I had a conversation with, with the CEO, Rudy, couple weeks back and it was a fantastic conversation. So that's also a really great avenue to help circadian rhythm training. And then looking at anti-inflammatory activities, looking at just the baseline stuff, getting lots of fruits and vegetables and in your high polyphenol foods that can help your immune system function. They're also very much food for your immune system that can help your immune system work. Getting adequate EPA and DHA, your fish oils from an anti-inflammatory standpoint, having adequate vitamin D and vitamin A levels, and then looking at mitochondrial support, looking at nutrients like CoQ10 and your entire mitochondrial support process to help your mitochondria work, and then anti-inflammatory nutrients that can help bring down the inflammatory response, things like curcumin, quercetin, zinc, GI support, like your immunoglobulins can also help. Um, Other things like your arterosil, which is one of my favorite products. Arterosil helps restore the glycocalyx. So that's the, it's a hair-like structure inside your blood vessel that swings back and forth and produces nitric oxide, which helps you carry oxygen and perfuse. So that means get your blood vessels to extend in the body, right? So, and to get as much blood flow to as far down to the end of your extremities as you can. And so Arterosil for us was a game changer and it's made by Calroy Labs and you can find it as Arterosil HP from Designs for Health and Arterosil. And I can actually put a link in our show notes to this particular product because there's, they are the only product on the market that has actually studied and actually proven that their formula can regrow the glycocalyx, which is that hair-like structure that protects your blood vessel. What the studies are showing is the inflammatory response of the spike protein on the lining of your blood vessels destroys that hair-like structure, which basically protects the blood vessel, keeps arterial placking from happen, happening, Happening, but also protects it from things seeping out and out of the bloodstream into the body, into the tissues, and also helps protect the, the production of nitric oxide. Well, the reason why a lot of people got purple toes, purple fingers from COVID is there is actually vascular hypercoagulation. So clumping in your blood vessels and a lack of blood flow to those extremities. And that's what's really happening. Arterosil protects that blood vessel. And so I think everybody over 50 should be on that product because all of us, at least 50% of us, are going to die from a cardiovascular event if we follow the statistics today. So protecting your blood vessels is always important. And then that, so that product is really, really important. And so we use that quite a bit. And then supporting detox, things like glutathione right? Those kind of things, looking at your stress levels, you know, reducing things that are very stressful for you. So if you're doing all these things and you're not getting better, that's when it's time to go into more of a 
protocol to help clear the spike proteins, right? To help clear the spike proteins, to help reduce the inflammatory response. There are other things that then allow you to do that. Natokinase, which is a natural blood thinner, serapeptidase, which is a proteolytic enzymes. Those two things work together, help move debris out of the blood vessels and reduce inflammation. Bromelain also is an anti-inflammatory with just massive amounts of studies looking at it for things like joint pain and inflammatory response. And curcumin is also really valuable in this particular case. And then and then there's some herbals that can help clear that spike protein as well. Now, if you do all of those things and you're not getting better, this is when it's time to start looking for this acute chronic viral load, this acute chronic secondary infection, things like Lyme, things like mold toxicity. When people aren't getting better, that is often underlying. Think of it this way, that may have been this underlying sort of thing brewing if you weren't very sick before, but COVID sort of tipped you over the edge, right? So if you do some of these things and you're still feeling bad, now it's time to address these other conditions. The challenge with long haul is we don't have really good testing to tell you or if you're in long haul or not. Yes, we can look at a viral panel. And so definitely in our clinic, we would look at a chronic viral panel looking for things like Epstein-Barr and, and the HS the viruses, so the herpes simplex viruses, to see if they've amplified. We can look at mycotoxins for mold. We can look at a Lyme panel to see if this is ongoing illness. But we don't have a lot of good testing for vascular inflammation, brain tissue damage, and those other sort of extenuating inflammatory responses to COVID. We have to sort of back our way into it. So here's the the sort of take home. I want you to kind of go through this list of things. So when you look at your own health, look back and look at your timeline, because this is where it's really important. Because again, almost a third of the people that have been diagnosed with long haul didn't have a date where they could go back and say, I know I had COVID. So many of these people did not have an acute illness of COVID. So what that means is, is you could have had a very mild case, maybe don't even know you had a case of COVID because the acute phase was not really ramped up, but the long haul showed up many cases three to six months later. So a lot of the individuals that have, have been diagnosed with long haul too had the acute illness maybe got over it and then had this sort of re-emergence three to six months later where all of these other symptoms started to occur. Like my experience of the Delta variant was pretty short. I got over it pretty quickly, went right back to my activity of, of, of exercise and other things. But I had a pretty significant, pretty massive hair loss about three months later, right? Which is very common because hair, the inflammatory response, it, it just damages those hair follicles and they fall out. And so, you know, many, many people had this period in between, maybe they didn't feel bad at all. And so I want you to take your timeline, just draw a timeline from, you know, you can go back to birth and start laying out other things because that may help you figure out, did you get a mold exposure? Did you get Lyme exposure or some other chronic illness? But even if you take the last three or four years and just look back and go, you know, how many colds and flus did I have? Did I have COVID? Yes or no? Did I have an onset of some of those symptoms I listed in the very beginning? And if so, when? And could this possibly be long haul. So as you do this timeline, there are some antecedents or some precursors that make you more likely to have long haul. So one of them is your epigenetics, your 
your genome, right? So we know there's a proteome study, there's some genetic studies showing that some individuals are more likely to get acute COVID, some individuals are more likely to get long haul. And so your genetics may predispose you. Definitely things like childhood growth and development and adverse childhood events. So if you've had a traumatic childhood, you're more likely. Socioeconomic factors. This is pretty much true in every chronic disease. If you have a, a standard of living that is is lower, you're more likely to have problems. Your foundational nutrition and health, if you're not healthy, you're more likely to have it. Your microbiome, how many antibiotics did you have? Were you breastfed? Were you vaginal delivery? And then if you have other diagnoses, other autoimmune conditions, allergy, sensitivities, inflammatory responses, toxicity, biotoxin, mold, toxicity in general, other infections like Lyme, and previous viral infections, any form of metabolic disease, which I already went over, and especially um, other infections like strep, the the herpes family, and cytomegalovirus, and EBV, and mycoplasma, all of those seem to be much more. And even things like SIBO, which is bacterial overgrowth in your small bowel, and parasites will increase your likelihood. So as you lay out your timeline, look at your timeline, and especially look at if there was an amplification or a continuation as we've come sort of out of the initial pandemic into the post-pandemic ongoing world, because that may be true for you. So last but not least, let me just go back over the symptoms of long haul so you can figure out if this sounds like you. So if we look first and foremost, some people, but many do not, have long-term chronic lung activation. So what that may look like is that dry cough that's unproductive, shortness of breath, a lack of respiratory capacity. You don't have the same fitness to be able to do the same activities. You seem to run out of oxygen too quickly. And, and definitely things like inflammatory cardio activity. We see cardio issues and dysfunction, changes in in cardiovascular capacity. So obviously, if there's blood vessel damage and inflammatory response, that could very much affect the heart. If you also see things like brain fog, right? So brain fog, where the brain's unable to really keep up with things, mental fatigue, memory losses, that could very much be the only symptom you may have. Depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD amplification, definitely fatigue. So that fatigue can be body fatigue, which I always describe as kind of slogging through concrete and or fatigue where it feels like mental fatigue or a little bit of both where you feel like you need a nap in the afternoon. You feel like you just don't have enough get up and go. And then we also have the muscle pains, aches, and other conditions, but we can see an amplification of other conditions. My friend that actually was holding the conference this weekend saw a huge, huge uptick in autoimmune activity and dermatitis, seborrheic dermatitis. So she had rashes that broke out on her face. So you could get other exacerbations of other conditions. And so if any of those things seem true to you, it would be a good time to look into working with somebody who has some experience with long haul and can help you navigate sort of clearing this up. Because here's the reality. This is me speaking as a scientist. I'm not, again, I'm trying not to politicize, talk about the politics of this, but the reality is this 
this virus is not going to go anywhere. It's going to continue to mutate. And of course, we can hope that it will continue to mutate to such a degree that it becomes kind of a non-issue. But it's here to stay. And we don't have to just worry about the acute phase, which is where politically most of the attention is going. We need to worry about what happens long term because this is a unique virus that has never been seen before. The activity of this virus on that ACE2 receptor has never been seen before. And because we created a vaccine that sort of told the immune system to act as if you saw it, then we have an immune system response to that that is also inflammatory. And so we also have some individuals that have vaccine injury that are experiencing these same symptoms, right? So the reality is some of us are going to deal with it and we just need to know and have the facts of how to deal with it. So in the show notes today, I will give you a link particularly to that Arterosil product. I think that's a game changer. I was taking it long before I got COVID. If you've heard me talk about my genetics and everything, I have some really crappy vascular genetics. So I do a lot to protect my blood vessels, protect my arteries because I don't, I want to stave off arterial damage from aging as much as possible. And I do believe that I sailed through the Delta variant because I already had that on board. And so I was taking it preventatively anyway, but I definitely will continue to take it in light of this research as well. So there'll be a link in the show notes if you're interested in looking at it. I will say it's not a cheap supplement, but it is absolutely an effective supplement. You take one twice a day preventatively. If you are actively working on getting rid of COVID, the inflammatory response of that broken spike protein on the ACE2, and you've got a lot of vascular inflammation, we might actually take it much higher in the beginning, but at least one twice a day. And it's been a game changer because we were doing that when COVID first hit. That was one of the things that we knew we needed to do. And for a lot of our patients, that was a game changer when they were acutely ill. So so I hope you found this interesting and also actionable. And like I said, I hope you didn't turn it off. Or obviously, if you're listening, you didn't turn it off because I didn't want it to be political. I wanted it to be informative. And then I will be back next week on Menopause Mastery. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com. 